Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Uh, the uh, Defense Department is holding a briefing right now, and I'm seeing the crawl on the uh, Fox monitor here because the other CNN's not carrying it for some reason. No, uh, White House says no active efforts to evacuate Americans. Well, of course not. I mean, why would like why would this conflict be any different than all of the others that they didn't evacuate anybody out of? Right? Come on, because, uh, they're being consistent here at least. Uh, all right. In the last hour, I went over uh, Jordan Peterson's uh, piece that he uh, wrote and then read. Um, and so you can go back and listen to that on the podcast. Get the podcast at thepetecalendarshow.com. Anyway, um, at the very end, though, I was talking about this piece from a DEI director, diversity, equity and inclusion director at Silicon Valley's De Anza College, Dr. Tabia Lee. She got fired from her job because... She was trying to work in Jewish students who felt that there was a lot of animosity directed towards them. There's a lot of anti-Semitism on the campus. And so she was like, yeah, well, let's do some things to make you feel included in all of that. And it became very clear to her that, oh, no, no, Israel's different. They're white oppressors. Jews are white oppressors. That's what, and she said, if you, if, if you don't go after them, go after the Jews, or even worse, if you defend them, then you are aiding and abetting oppression. And that's Ibram X. Kendi's point in his books, that you're in order to be anti-racist, you have to be actively anti-racist. You have to be actively tearing down the institutions that are inherently, systemically, institutionally racist. And if you're not then you're just as bad as people defending it. And that's what happens when you lump Jews into the white oppressor camp. Now, she goes on to say in this piece, uh, I believe this is the New York Post? Yeah, New York Post. She says, now the colleges and universities beholden to DEI are hurting Jewish students with their silence, their moral equivocation about terrorism against Israel, or their outright praise of the terrorists. The outpouring of anti-Semitic hatred is the direct result of DEI's insistence that Jews are oppressors. Which, by the way, if you're not Jewish, you just happen to be white, just keep an eye on what's happening here because this is like the first test here, the first, yeah, first opportunity for the DEI folks to the, for the wokesters, for these Marxists. For them to try to flex their muscles on the, you know, against the oppressors. That's why you're seeing these marches through the streets, these pro-Palestinian marches and such. They're, they're, this is Alinsky tactics. If you have them, it's, he called it eye, ears, nose, which is not particularly novel. He didn't make it up. It goes back to Sun Tzu. But it's, if you have the numbers then march your numbers, march your troops in front of the enemy to intimidate them, to show them 
with their own eyes, they then see all of the people on your side. If you don't have the numbers, well, then make it sound like you got a lot of numbers. Get yourself a lot of uh, coconuts and bang them together as you're running along the countryside. So it sounds like you got a lot of horses, something like that. You make it sound like you make people believe. And this is, by the way, when you see on social media, like this is what that impression is. You remember when they um, when they organized the boycott of Rush after he made the comment about Sandra Fluke? Remember that? Well, and I was at the time I had just gotten up, uh, gotten the job up in Asheville. And um, I remember when he said it. I remember when the boycott started coming. And then I remember how he went and spent a ton of money and they went and tracked down like this online effort to pressure the advertisers. And it turned out it was like a handful of people that had just built bots. And it was a fake. And this was sort I mean, this was like 2012, I want to say. So this was sort of the front edge of what we now know, like these troll farms and such. That's ears. Make it sound like you got a lot of people, even though you don't. And if you can't do that, well, then you go to nose. Nose is you just stink the place up. And that's the sit-ins, literally. That's the, (laughs) I kid, I kid. I like patchouli. No, that's the sit-ins. You go into the legislative offices and you shut them down, right? You got 10 people into an office and you just start screaming and yelling and you don't let them do anything. You just stink the place up. That's it. All right, she goes on to say, um, the outpouring of anti-Semitic hatred is the direct result of DEI's insistence that Jews are oppressors. What started with rhetorical attacks has morphed into defending and calling for violent attacks. It's inevitable for an ideology that demands an entire group of people, or sorry, demeans an entire group of people while accusing them of perpetrating massive injustice. Keep this in mind, too, remember, right? You've got people that are now saying Palestinians are not Hamas, and they want us to differentiate these two groups. Yet... Yet, all Jews are lumped into the oppressor class. How how does that square? When you stoke that kind of division and anger, you unleash fires you cannot control, she says. And she is exactly right. She's exactly right. Um, I'll get to some of these emails in a minute, though. Um, And trust me, I've got your messages here. I will get to them. Um, There was a soundbite here, though. This is Ilan Omar which is sort of a, this is a great illustration of it. Ilan Omar is at a news conference on Friday, and you're going to hear it was a drizzling rain. She's there with Ayana Presley, a fellow squad mate, right? These two have been on the front lines, along with Rashid Tlaib, they've been on the front lines of, of fluffing Hamas, okay? They have been out there shaking the pom-poms for the Palestinian people, quote-unquote, but we're MIA after the atrocities. I don't think, by the way, our own Democrat Party in North Carolina, they still have not said anything about the atrocities. Of course, now it's two, you know, it's two weeks later. So, of course, like, oh, we're not going to weigh in on it now. But their they're little uh, the kindergartner who's running their party now, Sippy Cup, Anderson or whatever her name. Yeah, Anderson Clayton. Um, yeah, she, she never... 
didn't post any messages, didn't say anything about we stand with Israel, we stand with Jewish people, these atrocities uh, uh, shall be, you know, should be condemned. Nothing, nothing at all. Democratic Party, nothing. Republicans, all over the place. Condemning it, condemning it, stand with Israel, stand with Jewish people, all that. So there was a press conference the other day on Friday. Well, I'll just play the audio. I have a question. Your colleague, Richie Torres, has said calling for a ceasefire is a dangerous double standard. The reporter says, your colleague, Richie Torres, a Democrat from the Bronx. I have a lot of Jewish people in the Bronx. He says, or this reporter, I think this is Peter Ducey's wife, by the way. Um, She says that he, uh, he says calling for a ceasefire is to benefit Hamas. And by the way, that's what Biden says, too. The U.S. wouldn't hold itself to. So my question is, is if this attack happened in America, would you be calling for a ceasefire as well? So if this attack happened in America, would you be calling for a ceasefire as well? Vengeance is not a foreign policy doctrine. Uh, We're here to save lives. Israelis, Palestinians, Americans. Anyone else? So is that a yes or a no? Anyone else? I do have another question. Why don't you want Israelis to go after the terrorists that burned, tortured, killed their babies and children and still have them hostage? Why don't you want the Israelis to go after the terrorists that did that? How many more killings is enough for you? Is it a thousand more? Two thousand more? Three thousand? How many more Palestinians would make you happy if they died? Will you be fine if all of the people of Gaza were gone? Would that make you happy? Would that be the thing that makes you proud? And maybe that's the question you should ask Richie. Is he okay? How many more Palestinian lives is he comfortable with? Because I am not comfortable with any more. So uh, first off, I apologize if that set off any of your your family pets, if any of your dogs heard that tone at that octave or whatever. Yeah, like. I apologize. That was not my intent. Um, but I do think they've uh, they've now captured the audio for use in lieu of waterboarding, uh, just for future interrogation purposes. Um, but notice what she does there. Notice what she does there. The question was about why, why shouldn't Israel go after these terrorists? And she says, you're the monster because you're trying to kill innocent Palestinians. And just walks right past the atrocities committed against Israeli civilians, right? She wants she wants Israelis and the world to care more about the Palestinian civilians than she cares or anybody else apparently in much of the Muslim world cares or apparently even on college campuses cares about Israeli civilians. And where does that come from? You could say it's just straight-up anti-Semitism, but you could also say it's the oppressor-oppressed prism that Marxists have got everybody trained to look through. Hey, so real quick, hurricane season is here, and this is your reminder to check your emergency supplies. You should have a three-day supply of food, water, and medicines, minimum. And Carolina Readiness Supply can help you get started or expand your supply, food, water purifiers, lighting, 
tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies too, because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you can use for any kind of emergency. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Ilan Omar, her outburst at this uh, press conference the other day, uh, got the attention of Bonchi, a writer at redstate.com, who called her outburst the lowest form of anti-war rhetoric. Israel's goal is not to kill civilians. It is not to rack up deaths in Gaza until there's some measure of proportion reached. The objective is to end Hamas as a political and military force. Until that goal is met, the war will not end. These calls for a ceasefire are a desperate attempt to garner a timeout that will save Hamas and ensure more death and destruction in the coming decades. If there is a concern about the civilians in Gaza, they should be expressed as a demand for Hamas to release the hostages and surrender. I've been saying that from the beginning. If you don't want to see innocent Gazans die, then you need to be calling for all of the hostages to be released and all of the Hamas terrorists to be uh, turned over and all of the leadership to surrender. That's how this ends. Otherwise, it's not going to end without violence because that's, that, that's the method Hamas chose. And they keep talking. Oh, I heard, I heard this all. There's another, um, there's another uh, revision coming, too. It's this idea that from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. But that's not an explicit call for the elimination of Israel and the Jews. They think all the Jews will just move away, like in Algiers when the French left. That's, that, that's what they say. So beware of that as well. That, and that's not what it means. It means that the Palestinians, it's not a return to the 1947 borders. It's a return to prior. It's they want all of the land and they get to control all of it. And considering what we just saw, what they do to Jews, why, why would anybody that's not insane give them what they want? By the way, then what do you think happens with other thugocracies and death cults? that come along that try to do the same thing in order to get what they want, right? Let me get Eddie on. Hello, Eddie. Welcome to the show. So, Pete, building on your point, who should terrify us more? The squad with their pro-Hamas views or the voters of their districts who keep putting these wackos back in office knowing what you just stated? I'd love your opinion, please. Well, I'm not sure that they do know. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I do not know if they all know this stuff, right? Most of the voters in their districts are just going to pull the lever for whoever the D is, you know, whoever the Democrat is, because they're in these safe Democrat seats. Um, so it's going to be like the Democrat party's got a problem. They got a real problem. There's polling out um, and you're starting to see it kind of trickle out because um, it's been now two weeks. So it said, you know, these firms have had time to put their polls out into the field. Um, and I just saw one. I retweeted it during the break here. Um, it was about views on on Israel and Palestinians and such. And I'll find it during the the, the newscast here. Um, 
But this is a problem more so, very much so, more so inside the Democrat Party, which makes sense because that's where the most radical leftists live. That's where they are, because that's the party that needs them in order to win elections. So they have to they have to kowtow to this. I call them the Moonbat Brigade. They they have to appease them. And the problem is, like, you start doing that and you empower them. And you get people that now believe it. And then you turn over your K-12 government schools to them as teachers. All right. Well, let me finish with Omar first. Ilan Omar would be better off calling for the hostages to be released and for Hamas to surrender. That's how you would save the most amount of Palestinian lives. But she doesn't. Because she doesn't. They are useful to her. And they are viewed through the prism of oppressed and oppressor. So they, would, they should never surrender. And what they did was justified. And this gets to this, uh, this poll. I mentioned it yesterday that half of the people under the age of 35, half of Americans under the age 35, think that the massacre of Israeli civilians by Hamas can be justified by Palestinian grievances. I've, I've spent time talking about what they did to people. There are other things that I've read about and seen, and I haven't even brought those because they're so horrific. I recognize that it, it puts these images into people's minds, and it, you can't ever get rid of them. Randy Barnett says the language of grievance indicates that the people who hold immoral anti-Semitic opinions are overwhelmingly on the political left and the cross tabs of the polling gives hints that this is indeed the case. 36% of self-defined liberals of all ages agree that the attack was justified. Third, one third. 16% of conservatives say that. Get Kevin on. Hello, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Pete, I wanted to point out that the perfect answer for that reporter to Omar when she said, how many more lives? All she had to say was, if they're Hamas, all of them, because that's the way it should have been. And the other thing is that this stuff started way back in 9-11 when we stopped showing people jumping out of buildings and dying in horrific ways. And we said it's too, it's too much for people to see. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the same thing again now by not viewing or not showing all these bodies of these people that were mercilessly killed. And they just desensitize everybody to it. I think that's part of the problem here. Well, there's so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's tough because the terrorists use the images to recruit and to celebrate and to, uh, to wage psychological operations against their uh, their enemies. That's why they sent the videos to their to the victims' families. You know, they uploaded this stuff onto social media. That's why they did that. Uh, there is an element of psyops going on. So, uh, and and Israel has had a long policy of not showing bodies uh, after terrorist attacks for that reason. Um, but, but this but time, not, yeah, this time is now using that against us because right. the media is is making it like it never happened. And right, they, and they're supporting the. The, the ridiculous ideas in these people's heads that this never happened. Right. And that's why yesterday they called together like about a hundred or so international uh, 
uh, journalists and they sat them in a little auditorium and they played the footage. They showed the photos. They played the audio. There was one audio clip of um, uh, a phone call that was made by one of these Hamas uh, terrorists who called his father and was talking about how he killed 10 Jews today. Dad, you'll be so proud of me. Like, that's why I call this a culture of death, because it is. They are like the entire uh, Hamas playbook at a societal level. It's all about training up the next generation of psychopaths. And they're very good at it. They've done a very good job at it. They should take the 35 percent liberals and put them in the same auditorium and watch it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Kevin, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the answer here. I don't know how you make people understand the depravity. Maybe we just got a much larger population of the cluster B people in the in America than I thought. Um, Bonchi at Red State, he says, like the mainstream press, Ilan Omar has completely blinded herself to the reality of the atrocities that occurred. Thus, she cannot begin to process why a country would have any right to react in self-defense. People can speculate why she has chosen that path in the face of so much evidence of what Hamas did. The simplest answer, she's just a rabid anti-Semite, as evidenced by her many years in the public eye. I understand the desire to give people the benefit of the doubt because it's hard to fathom how anybody could hold such an irrational hatred in their hearts. Occam's razor exists for a reason, though. All right, then yesterday we dropped in uh, on the, uh, the White House press secretary's daily briefing. I did not stick with it long, so we did not catch this. Um, she was, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked, what is Biden's level of concern right now about a potential rise of anti-Semitism? Okay, that's, that was the question. His level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel. So a couple of things. Um, look, um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats. Uh, and so I uh, just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. And certainly President Biden understands that many of our Muslim Arab Arab Americans and Palestinian American loved ones and neighbors are worried about the hate being directed at their communities. And that is something you heard the president speak to in his uh, in his address uh, just last last Thursday. And so uh, one of the things that the president has done is directed his team, uh, uh, Homeland Security team, to prioritize prevention uh, and disruption of any emerging threats that could harm the Jewish, the Muslim, uh, Arab Americans, or, or any other communities. And that is something that the president has sought to do and and since day one, as you know, the president ran on on um, on you know bringing commu- protecting communities, obviously, but bringing people together, the soul uh, uh, protecting the soul of the nation. Uh, and so she is so um, bad at her that job. That is something that the president takes very very seriously. Uh, and um, you know we're going to continue to denounce any sort of hate uh, towards any American here. Uh, and so that's what we're going to continue to be steadfast on. Again, he has he has uh, uh, advised, directed his homeland security uh, team to make sure that they're on top of this. Right. Okay. Maybe we did hear that. But you hear what the question was about the potential rise of anti-Semitism and her responses about Muslims and those perceived to be Muslims and how they have endured a disproportionate number of hate-fueled attacks. Again, 
This is victim and victimizer mentality. This is underdog principle. Who's perceived as the weak one and therefore they are correct, right? This is oppressor oppressed. This is the prism. Slight problem. The people who are the victims of hate crimes more than any other group are actually Jewish people, not Muslims. The question was about was about anti-Semitism, not Islamophobia, right? Not the attacks against Muslims. But that's what she turned it into. So she's gotten a bit of uh, pushback on this and why she responded the way she did. And I just saw this moments ago. Politico reporting the White House press secretary says that she misheard the question on anti-Semitism. So that's why she now look, you could tell when she's when she's uh, tap dancing at the beginning of the question or her answer. You, she's trying to flip the book. All of the stuff she says is all written down for her. And this is what's hysterical to me. This is why she's so bad at her job. She doesn't even know what these talking points are. She has this big book in front of her and she just reads and she reads them as if. We can't see that she's reading it, and we don't recognize that these are not her words. And she has this this disposition of like, oh, you know, I'm just kind of delivering this, you know, and she does this kind of head bob and shoulder thing going where she's just like, yeah, you know, I'm just talking here. I'm just uh, talking. You know, we're just talking. Like, I'm just off the cuff. This is all off the top of my head. Which, why is that the same thing? Off the top of my head and off the cuff. How do they mean the same things, basically? Anyway, no, she's reading. But she's pretending she's not reading. And we can all see her read. We see her turning the pages. As you know, blah, 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 blah. And she's stumbling over all of it because she's trying to make it her own, I guess. I don't know. Like a remake of a classic hit. I, I just, she is so bad. So bad at her job. Jonathan says on Twitter, I cannot stand... When that Corinne Jean-Pierre woman talks, she says, uh, like every three seconds. Isn't that a sign of lying? I would say yes, but at this point, I think it might just be reading comprehension because she's reading these things off of the sheet. How could any administration be so inept from top to bottom? I hear Corinne Jean-Pierre say, look again, I will vomit. Yeah, she says, look all the time. Look. And we'd be very clear. Look, gonna be clear. Look, look, clear. If it's clear, I should just be able to see it when I look. Cringe. All right, let's go to the uh, the mail sack here and uh, take a look. Mm. Bob says, "Cringe, uh, Jean Pierre. Cringe, Jean Pierre's sing song stutter is nauseating." Let's be clear. Look, let's be. I'm gonna have to start every. I'm going to read every message as if I'm Corinne Jean-Pierre. This is from James. Look, Pete, I'm going to be very clear. When Ms. Pierre talks about Biden, right, wanting to, you know, look, uh, bring, you know, like uh, everyone together, look, and I want to be clear, you know, uniting all, like, look, does that, you know, look like... Does that include those, you know, MAGA Republicans too? I want to be clear. I doubt it. That's how she talks. She's terrible. All right, so I'll read this legit. James said, when Ms. Pierre talks about Biden wanting to bring everybody together and uniting all of us, does that include those MAGA Republicans too? 
please. No. Of course not. Great show, your fan, James. Uh, James. Thank you, James. Uh, John says, I think the correct pronunciation of her name is Cringe Jean-Pierre. Yes, I th- I've, I've been trying to say it. The problem is I keep saying it because I said it for so long as Cringe Jean-Pierre. And so I start in and I have to kind of catch myself. So I reframe the first name as Cringe. Cringe. Cringe Jean-Pierre. Um... Yes, uh, this is from Jan. Yes, all of Gaza is not Hamas, but all Jews are oppressors is a hypocritical argument. The same people who say criticizing the Israeli government is not anti-Semitic, but say that any criticism of Black Lives Matter is a racist dog whistle. That's a great point. Yeah, when when Black Lives Matter was taking in all that sweet, sweet white people money. Remember that? And then they were like uh, the, the founders were buying mansions and everything. And when you pointed that out, like, hey, this money is not actually going to help the black community. It's going to these people's pockets. And then, like, well, that's racist. <laughs> You're right. You shouldn't point that out. Um, Keith says, uh, Pete, love the show. From my perspective as a Christian, uh, there are 97 plus times God affirms that the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. And he lists all of the uh, passages. Uh, this is from Pete who says, Pete, thank you for delving into this and laying it out as you are. This truly needs exposition. Okay. Back to chopping wood for me, actually Medicare enrollments, but okay. Um, Pete, the cluster B personality traits. It sounds like he is describing my last family reunion. I went to, Oh, come on. (laughs) Uh, could the, Jay says, could the delay in the Israeli invasion of Gaza be a psyops move to screw with Hamas and get him to make mistakes? Because the room-by-room, street-by-street combat that'll be required in an invasion may not be worth the cost. Yeah, I saw somewhere it was like 35, 40,000 Hamas fighters, and Israel has brought up like 10 times that amount. Um. I know it is not a Christian point of view, but let God sort them out. By the way, you are every bit as good as Larson ever was, even before he turned in. Okay, well, I'm not going to read that, Jay, but thank you. Um, Chris says, oh, regarding caller Winston, Pete, what you do with and to Winston, or what you did was very rude. I loved it. Keep up the good work. Uh, yeah. Uh, dude, how appropriate since we all cringe whenever she speaks, says John. Um, yeah, so that was the end of, what was that, the end of the first hour, I think it was, where we had, um, we had Winston call in, or no, was that the first hour? Second, I forget. It doesn't matter. But, um, yeah, no, Winston has a special place in the, in the show, and by that I mean no place. And I've told him that because he said he hated me. He hated the show. He thought I was awful. The show was terrible. He never listens. But he tried. But then he tries to get on to use the show as a platform to spout conspiracy theories. And so, like, no, I, I don't have to let you on the show. It's my show. It's my name. So, anyway, get the podcast. You'll hear it. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.